Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. start today for Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. About 10 minutes early with you. Glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. I will tell you that if you are interested in continuing to listen to the press conference that is uh, being hosted by Governor Tate Reeves, uh, you can uh, watch that on the Supertalk Mississippi Facebook page or at uh, supertalktv.com. So if uh, you want to Check out the question and answer portion of, uh, of the press conference. Uh, those are the places that uh, you can get that. The Super Talk Mississippi Facebook page. Just scroll down to the video section and click on the uh, live video that is going on right now or at uh, supertalktv.com. Um, hey, Dad, are you there? Yeah. I was just making sure. Yeah, are you okay? I'm fine. I just want, are, you're sure. I can't wait to see where this leads to. Yes. Because I, I just wasn't sure how you were feeling after the drubbing that your Lottie Giants took for their first loss of the season to uh, the um, uh, to the pause, if you will, of the mighty Doosan Bears going down 11-6 to and giving up 20 hits in the game. Hey. Well, you know what? I feel like they'll bounce back and they'll 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 learn from this loss and I, I they we won't see it repeated. They aren't losing again this season. This is actually kind of a I, I'm obviously being funny about this. There's a lot of offense in these games, yeah. and I don't know if you've been watching any of the uh, the Korean baseball organization or not. So Doosan won on. Sunday. They don't play on Monday. So they play on uh, on Sunday and they beat KT Wiz 13 to 12. 13 runs, 18 hits. Uh, I think the offense is going because they followed it up with 11 runs on 20 hits. So 38 hits in the last two games for Doosan, but they're not the only ones. Uh Lottie had 15 hits. Uh, the NC Dinos and KT Wiz, they're playing uh, the replay is on uh, I think it's ESPN2 right now. Uh, they combined for 26 hits in the game. So it's not exactly like Major League Baseball, Rippy, where it's either strikeouts or home runs. I, I know that's oversimplifying things a little bit, but uh, so much of the game has uh, has turned into that. They're putting the ball in play, and it's kind of a fun brand of baseball to watch. Yeah, I mean, the ballparks are slightly smaller too, right? I mean, to kind of incorporate that, if I'm not mistaken. Like, I don't think there's anyone where 300, like where you're at 400 in center pretty much somewhere around 320 down the lines and like 370 in most left center right center gaps or whatever but yeah i mean it's more visually appeasing on television yeah it's been uh it's been fun borky how are you today uh i have not watched one single pitch of korean baseball league why mostly honestly because i don't care to but um 
Uh, no, it's uh, the kids sleeping so, so well. So your excitement so not, about live sports was fake excitement. It was fake news. Uh, no, uh, trust me, I'd watch it if this was three months ago when the kid wasn't sleeping, but now that he is for the most part, and apparently we've got a regression coming, I'm just taking advantage as much as I can. So he's sleeping through the night, therefore I'm sleeping through the night. I'm not going to compromise that. Yeah, I can't necessarily say that uh, that I blame you on that front. Uh, C Spire text line is open to you. 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. That's if you would like to be a part of the show. Experiencing fever, cough, sore throat, or shortness of breath. C Spire and UMMC are partnering to offer free COVID-19 screening through the C Spire Health app for all Mississippians experiencing symptoms. Learn more at cspirehealth.com. I, I couldn't help but chuckle a little bit as we uh, listened to the press conference with the governor uh, just a, uh, a short while ago. He didn't call them this exact exactly, but given his hairstyle, he made reference to Bama bangs and, uh, and needed to get a haircut. And then he went with the old uh, lemon lemonade, very <laughs> cliche there at the end. Life hands you lemons. You can make a sour face. <laughs> Yeah, um, not at all. So, uh, again, you can uh, jump in if you would like to on the uh, C Spire text line. That number is 601-879-4395. We'll spend some time. uh, By the way, Ryan Brown is going to join us on the the Farm Bureau phone line a little bit later this afternoon. And uh, we'll talk with him uh, some college football stuff and some Alabama stuff and Maybe some Auburn stuff as well, and just kind of uh, general thoughts from him as we uh, trend closer to the start of the college football season, even though uh, it's still a pretty uh, significant amount. Well, we're at least 100 days away because we haven't gotten to what would have been the SEC tournament and the start of the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. And Borky, me mentioning that, probably is going to elicit somebody going, hey, I thought you guys were going to do more. Yeah, I thought we were going to do more too, but stuff keeps happening. Like this baseball story, I think is fascinating to me. So we have, we are not desperate for content yet, and so I don't think we have to call an audible until we are. Is it an audible to start previewing college football teams? Oh, here we go. If we have a college football season, well played. Oh well no, I, I, I honestly have forgotten just because there's so much actually, in a weird way, going on that I haven't thought. Man, I really don't have anything that we can do today. Oh, that's right. We can extend 100 teams. I just haven't had that thought yet. I will make a note on my phone right now. We will start 100 teams plus in 100 days plus tomorrow. <laughs> I like it. I uh, I like that. You're right about the Major League Baseball story. Um, we, we talked some about this yesterday, and there's more and more information that is uh, coming out. Big story from uh, Jeff Passan. Uh, he asks 20 questions about why the financial battle uh, could get really ugly between the Players Association and Major League Baseball. So we'll dive into that and uh, kind of get into the nuts and bolts of that story. Uh, there's a lot there, and battle line—excuse me—battle lines are clearly being drawn between the owner side of things and the players side of things. So before we really dive into the details, I, I am kind of curious, and I don't know if this, you know, I, I don't know if it really matters one way or the other, but 
Where do you fall on this? Whose side are you on? Are you on the owner's side of things, or are you on the player's side of things in terms of kind of the negotiations on who's going to get paid and how they're going to get paid and how much is going to get paid? Or do you care at all? Do, do, do you perhaps not care what the financial ramifications are for either side? You just want to see games. Because if I'm being completely honest... That's probably where I fall. I'm not worried about billionaire owners. And and, and listen, I don't want anybody to lose money. I, I want everybody to make money and everybody to succeed and everybody to do well. But I don't think the billionaire owners are all of a sudden going to be filing for bankruptcy in the future of Major League Baseball is, you know, not just the immediate future, but the extended future of Major League Baseball is hanging in the balance based on lost revenue this year. But at the same time, I don't necessarily agree that the players, you know, maybe it's a a slippery slope and they're scared to death. I I tend to think the players have kind of got the power here, but the idea that the players have all the power and maybe they've had more power than they've ever had, I I think that idea is a little misplaced as well. You guys have any kind of high-level thoughts on this? I had a professor in college once tell me that if you're going to be in the opinion business, you have to have one, always. Um, And in this case, I'm going to straddle the fence because I see both sides. I think, by and large, though, it's it's a bad look. If you're the players, and Colin Cowherd made a really good point today, listened to most of his show, and he said the NBA's messaging has been pretty consistent. Players, owners, whoever, if we have adequate testing to where we can get tested daily, then we want to play. The NFL's messaging has been full steam ahead no matter what. Uh, The UFC is putting on events uh, no matter what. And baseball's messaging is wage dispute. So everybody else has, hey, we want to play. We want to do what we can. Just get us test and we're ready to go. And baseball's is, oh, no, we may have to have a salary cap like every other league in sports. Um, That's not a great look. But... If you've agreed upon something and they've already agreed to a wage garnishment, you need to put your heels in, dig your heels in it and not budge or else you may get a salary cap forever, which means less money for you. But if you're the owners, you've already agreed upon a prorated season shortage, whatever you want to call it. But that was with the assumption that you'd be able to get 40% of your revenue by fans being there. And now that's been taken away, so how... Would you agree to pay the players what you usually pay them, but your income is not going to be the same? In fact, a lot of teams, small market teams like the Miami Marlins, as Jeff Passan laid out in this story that we've referenced, uh, will lose money if they play this year. More likely than not. We'll lose money. So why are you going to... Okay, let me press pause there for just a second. Kai Coward's thing is not completely fair because the NBA is not starting its season in the midst of a pandemic. And... Presumably, the NFL won't be in the current conditions that are there now. So, like, it's a little more of a unique position. And also, on the grand scheme Why would they not? They're trying to start. That's the thing. They're saying, hey, if you get us testing every day, we'll play. And they've already opened their facilities. They've already played a significant chunk of their season. 
Like they're not starting their season. They're not having to be go into it where we haven't played a single game yet. How many games can we get in? Because that would have significantly affected player salaries, revenues, and all that. They've already got two-thirds of their season in, so it's not anywhere close to the same thing. And when you actually look at it, uh, if you want to pick a league that's closer to restarting, MLB is way closer to restarting the NBA. The NBA has zero plan, and they're 100% returning at a time. If you gave me Vegas odds on what league starts and plays, I think Major League Baseball would be a heavy favorite, and I think the odds would be greater than now at this point that the NBA season is canceled as opposed to starting. But who's starting first is not the, the point, though. It's the I'm talking the about starting at all. behind it. It's but it's the, starting at all. Like it's not like it, the NBA is way more organized. They're way further away from starting than MLB is. They don't even have a plan. We got three hours ahead of us. Ceasefire text line: Bonus sports talk. Mississippi must be my lucky day. Headed to get some scratch offs. Good luck to you with the uh, the scratch offs. You want with the uh, one dollar or the two dollar scratch offs? Um. Get a question about SEC Media Days. We'll get to that and a whole lot more with you. I think there's more to get to, a lot more to get to in this baseball conversation. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. We'll be right back with you. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Thanks for being with us on this Tuesday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. If I sound out of breath, it's because I am. So, Borky, this is the first time this has happened, but the uh, the whole perils of being in the home studio with kids around, they, they've been really good about like recognizing that you know daddy has to work. Right up until the point where somebody leaves the door open uh. and two of the three dogs get out, and it happens during the commercial break. <laughs> so we got one of them back, but uh, Thatcher, who uh, is a bit of a free spirit and doesn't get to uh, run as much as he would like to, he's the uh, the the part golden retriever. Uh, I've talked about Thatcher before. Uh, apparently, he's in the park now. Some nice lady just called and uh, told me that uh, he she had him in the park. So. Whew. Running up and down the stairs and scrambling and trying to uh, get a dog back in in six minutes. That's great. When did you get three? Uh, Ava Montgomery got uh, a dog for Christmas. Oh, nice. So Chloe is 14 and mean. I I say mean. (laughs) She's just old and grumpy and used to having her way, and I think she's about half blind and about half deaf at this point. Maybe three-quarters deaf and half blind. Start calling her Karen. Um, Karen. Oh, you're not up with the the internet meme. Yeah, no, sorry. I I I knew when you said that there was some reference that I was supposed to know, and I didn't. I feel like Haydad would have gotten that one. Oh, I got it. Thanks. Of course, I'm the uh, the last one on the internet memes, but that's okay. I'm I'm okay with that. Uh, so yeah, and then Thatcher we've had for about. Oh, three or four years now. He was a um, he was a shelter dog. Uh, Jane has been to the animal shelter a grand total of one time in her life, and she went and she fell in love with Thatcher, and so came home with him. And then Coco, which is such a manly name for a little boy dog, uh, that was uh, Santa Claus brought Coco for Ava Montgomery at uh, Christmas this year. It's 2020. Let Coco decide. 
<laughs> well played, Riffy. We assume um, that dog's gender right here on the air. Yeah, I. Uh, well, I mean, I, anatomically, it's a boy dog. I can't tell you how he feels about it, or it feels, or however the whole gender how neutral thing works. They're but problematic, they, sir. Anyway. I'm sorry. They, yeah, now I'm uh, politically incorrect to uh, go along with everything else. Uh, so, yeah, I, I was voting for pork chop for the uh, dog's name, and uh, my daughter did not sign off on that at all. So Speaking of negotiation, you got crushed on that. Pork chop to coca. There's no middle ground? Apparently not. Apparently not. The uh, the joke. So so the dog is a cavapoo, which is uh, a Gazunheit. mix between a do what? Gazunheit. Yeah, a mix between a Cavalier King Charles and a poodle. And the joke that I have made to anybody that would listen to it is, you know what a dog like that used to be called? A uh, mutt. <laughs> <laughs> that's not how those are classified anymore. So, anyway, that's uh, that's what's going on today at the Cross House. Uh, Sports Talk Mississippi, thanks for being with us. C Spire text line is open, 601-879-4395. Equip your organization for simple, successful business continuity with a work-from-anywhere toolkit from C Spire Business, featuring powerful resources like UC1 and Office 365. Learn more today at cspire.com. Slash business. Uh, we got started a few minutes early with you uh, this afternoon. We are glad to have you along and uh, kind of began the show today with some conversation about Major League Baseball. There is a wage dispute that is brewing that could very well hang up a return to play, and it's pretty interesting. Big, fascinating, long, lot of words story from Jeff Passan at ESPN outlining the proposal that is on the table that was presented by the owners to the uh, MLB Players Association. Players immediately started speaking out against it. Uh, there are some big points that are uh, are worth looking at. So let's hit on these, and then we'll kind of jump into the conversation about what the players want and what the owners want and uh, what's there. So in, in terms of what is in the return-to-play proposal from the owners, broad terms here, 50-50 split of revenue – for this year's season. And there's never been any kind of a revenue split like that in baseball in the past. It's not something that the players have wanted. Although I'm not so sure that the players wouldn't have benefited from that somewhere along the way. But in a normal scenario, there's no way the owners would offer a 50-50 split. So um, it's obviously a pretty unique situation for the owners to be offering that. They believe that revenue, the, the they being the owners, is going to be down and so they are willing to split the revenue and say, look, you know, we'll take half of it, you get half of it, and everybody's happy. Well, the players are not happy with, uh, with that idea. I'm aware there's uh, no salary cap, but what is the revenue distribution? Uh, so in the NBA, it's basically 50-50. The NFL just agreed on what was it, like 48.5% or so uh, with some contingencies in there. What was baseball's agreement beyond the no salary cap that makes this so egregious to them? I, I hate to speak out of turn on this, but I don't think there has been a revenue split. I think it's the owners take the revenue and then they play, pay the big contracts. So the players basically and, just, hey, no, you can pay us whatever you want. They've been close to 50-50 for a while, but the opposition to this here is that 
they're already losing salary. Unless I read that wrong. Well, the Players Association's representative said that the this is a salary cap, and a salary cap's a non-starter for us. Like, we will not agree to it since we don't have one. Well, one of the things that's different for Major League Baseball is all of the teams in the league contribute to revenue sharing. Although, in reality, it's not all the teams in the league. We're we're so, I mean, we're like all over the place with this. So, I I guess let's kind of go back to where we were a second ago, uh, 10 minutes ago. Borky, you, you mentioned that the Miami Marlins could potentially lose money this year. And that's a complete non-starter for me in terms of feeling bad for the Marlins because the Marlins and the Pittsburgh Pirates and some other relatively small market franchises have benefited for a long time in revenue sharing, and yet they haven't spent the money. And so the Miami Marlins, who are a small market team in terms of revenue, they have been a profitable franchise for a long time without really investing into their ball club. And now that the Miami Marlins are in a spot where, in a one, one-off situation, they might operate in the red this year, I'm supposed to feel bad for them? And I really don't. If they were a small market team who had invested everything they could into having a competitive, uh, competitive ball club on a year-in, year-out basis then, okay, maybe I feel bad for the Marlins. But when they've been putting a crap product on the field and have traded away all of their good players in the name of rebuilding the franchise under Derek Jeter, I'm sorry. I I don't feel sorry for you in that situation. And this may be a dumb question. They clearly would lose more if a season doesn't happen, right? So even though they'd lose money if they played this year, wouldn't they lose a lot more if they didn't? Or would all of their expenses be null and void? Well, I don't know that all of their expenses would be null and void. I'm sure they'd have whatever the agreement is with the city of Miami on that stadium. I'm, I'm sure they would still have some expenses. And I mean, they've got, you know, staff and front office expenses as well. But if they don't play a season at all, and that's where the owners maybe kind of hold a trump card in here. Um, again, I feel like we need to lay kind of what's out in there before we get off in the weeds, but. Maybe it's too late for that. So people were looking at this yesterday and go, oh, the players are going to turn this proposal down, hands down. They're going to submit a counterproposal to the owners, and the owners are going to be forced to take it. Well, no. The owners have committed, what, $170 million to salary? That money is just about up. And beyond that, if they don't play a season, they're not going to have to pay the salaries. And so their biggest expense goes away. They'll still have some expenses, but the argument that, that kind of gives the owners that ultimate trump card is we're better off financially not playing if you're not going to agree to some sort of a split that gives us a chance financially. So many questions that go along with this. When we come back, I promise we will lay out the terms of the return to play proposal and then get into more of the questions that go along with it. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. We will be right back. The Lone Rider. 
what is in the return to play proposal from the owners that has been given to the MLB Players Association? 50-50 split of revenue from this upcoming season in whatever shape it takes. An 82-game schedule instead of the standard 162. A mid-June spring training and an early July opening day. People have talked about 4th of July weekend. Yeah, I think 4th of July is on a Friday this year, Friday or Saturday this year. So, what? Maybe starting games on Thursday or Friday going into that weekend. It is a Saturday. Okay. So maybe you start the season on Friday the 3rd or Thursday the 2nd and make it a big celebration. Games played in home stadiums where it is allowed. Designated hitters across the board, American League and National League. Games to be played against only divisional and regional opponents, which means you probably would get more interleague play, at least as a percentage of play than normal, maybe not more actual games. So, for example, American League West teams would play teams in their division And then they might play teams from the NL West, primarily. Expanded rosters from 26 to as many 30 active players with an additional 20-man taxi squad of minor league players and prospects and no fans in the stadium to begin the season. They obviously would like to get to the point where you do have fans in the stadium before the season is completed, but at least in terms of beginning the season, no fans in the stadium. So those are kind of the big picture items in terms of what the owners have presented to the players. Now, Jeff Passan outlines three issues that are critical to the players' union, so the player side of things. Number one, He says anything with even the slightest relation to a salary-capped system frightens players, even if this proposal doesn't involve a salary ceiling or other cap tenants. The mistrust between the two sides has deepened in recent years, and as a recent example, he points to the different interpretations of the agreement they put in place in March, and the slightest whiff of a salary cap sends off Pandora's box signals at the union. I got a question about that, but let's hold it just for a second. Number two, salaries do not grow commensurate with revenue gains. So now, in a year in which the game is struggling, it's necessary for the players to share in the losses? Hmm. It's a reasonable question. And finally, if a second wave of coronavirus to strike before or during the postseason and force the cancellation of games, postseason TV money would vanish, even if the estimated revenues were $5 billion, which, by the way, is about half of the normal $10.5 billion that Major League Baseball is making, those revenues would crater with the cancellation of playoff money and would leave the players with less than their prorated share. Okay. Rippy, I'm going to ask you this question because I know you've you've been around big league baseball, you've covered it, and maybe you've got a little better understanding. 
They keep talking about anything that looks like a salary cap. So there's not a salary cap in baseball, but there is a threshold where you are penalized if you pay more than a certain amount. And, and that's the luxury tax, right? Yeah, to me, the money quote in this is the one from the executive director of the PA. It says, the system that restricts player pay based on revenues is a salary cap, period. This is not the first salary cap proposal our union has received. Union has received. I'm assuming that's a dig to 20-whatever years ago. Probably won't be the last. The league is trying to take advantage of a global health crisis to get what they failed to achieve in the past and to anonymously negotiate through the media for the last several days suggests they know exactly how this will be received. None of this is beneficial to finding to the process of finding a way for us to get safely back on the field and resume the 2020 season, which is our sole focus. Uh, and as Passon wisely points out, the last time the whole salary cap thing came up, they just didn't have a season. Like they wanted it in 94, players didn't budge, so there just was no World Series. Yes. And and isn't the Major League Baseball Players Union considered to be the strongest union in sports? Like they stick together? Yes, and the in terms of like relationship with the other side, it seems to have deteriorated I don't know, rapidly, gradually, whatever you want to call it, of late. And of late meaning I guess the last what, fifteen, twenty years? So here's what the baseball, Major League Baseball has in place. They have a luxury tax, which is also called a competitive balance tax, in place of a salary cap in order to level the spending an individual team can spend on their roster. In other professional sports leagues, it's an actual salary cap, which limits uh, what the team can spend on players. With Major League Baseball, and, and, and this is in, in loose terms, you can go over the luxury tax threshold in a given year, but you can't go over it this year and go over it again next year without having pretty significant penalties. You start having to pay substantial penalties into a pool that's then shared among the other teams and is part of Major League Baseball's revenue-sharing model. At least that's the way I understand it. So while there is not technically a salary cap in place, there are limitations. I mean, you can't just go out and spend... Let's use the Yankees, right? The the richest franchise in baseball, and everybody loves to always just say, oh, the Yankees are just buying World Series championships. Yeah, whatever. Knew there was a personal slight coming in here. No, but I mean, it's not just the Yankees. I mean, it's the Yankees and the Dodgers and the Cubs, although they've not been operating that way for the last couple of years. But the big market teams that have massive television revenues and you know just have more money, we have bigger attendance, bigger stadiums, all those things rolled into one. You you can't, for example, have a luxury tax threshold of two hundred million dollars for everybody's roster, and then the Yankees just because they have more money go spend three hundred and fifty million. Like they could do that for a one-off basis, but if they did it without fixing it the following year, then they start paying a penalty, and if it happens again the following year, the penalty becomes far more punitive. What you're outlining what they can't do is essentially what European soccer clubs do, if I understand that correctly, isn't there? Isn't that right? There there are some, some rules in place called financial fair play, basically where 
you're you're only allowed to pay for players out of your profits. So if you're not profitable, you're not allowed to you know overspend on players basically. But also over there, they don't you know they don't do trades or anything like that. They they just buy the players. Why is that's it a, that they are exclusively against a salary cap? Because if there is a cap, doesn't that also incorporate a floor? And like, if you're a player on the Marlins, for example, don't you want every team to kind of have to spend the same amount of money so your salary well, goes up? Or well, the, or do they have a floor? And I just I don't know it. Well, the player side of it is they they seem to favor the idea that the salaries don't fluctuate based on revenue. It seems to be the general concept that they enjoy, unless yeah. I'm reading into that wrong. No, I, I think that's exactly the point, and that's what Tony Clark. Um, well, maybe it's what Jeff Passan pointed out in the uh, in the story. Tony Clark is the executive director of the MLBPA, so I think the point they were making: Major League Baseball has been really healthy, and we've talked about that. And as revenues grow, salaries are growing, but they are not growing at the same rate that revenues are growing. And so the players are saying, hold on a second. You didn't allow us to grow with you as you were making more and more money. But now that you are in peril of not making as much money, you want us to share in the burden of that. And I think it's a pretty fair argument from the player side of things. In the owners, as, as he outlined in the bottom part of this quote, which I thought was actually a little bit harsh, but the owners, like, they feel like from a public perception thing, like they feel like they're sitting in a pretty good spot was, hey, here's this idea to get baseball back. Now watch the players crap on it. And they think the general public, I guess, is not smart enough to understand there's more to it. Maybe so. I, maybe they just, maybe it's not, the second part's not true. Maybe they just think they sit in a good spot from a public perception standpoint in general. By the way, the New York Yankees surpassed the luxury tax threshold every single season between 2003 and 2017 and paid a total of $319 million and change in penalty tax. The Dodgers did so between 2013 and 2017. They paid just shy of $150 million. The Red Sox had a four-year window in the mid-2000s, a couple of years in 10 and 11, a couple of years in 15 and 16. They've paid a total of $25 million. Only one, two, three, four, five other teams have ever even had to pay luxury tax. Sports Talk Mississippi with you streaming at supertalk.fm. C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. This comes from a 404 area code. Normal people in America are suffering financially. These Major League Baseball players are acting like entitled brats. Americans need healing and normality, and it should start with the start of America's pastime. Bring back MLB by 4th of July weekend with fans. And for whatever it's worth, we have a poll out there. Whose side are you on? And 64% are on the side of the owners. Well, if the players are rich and are acting like brats, what does that make the owners that are at, are cutting costs at an even greater rate? Oh, and are way richer. They have a B in front of their name. I feel like it's easy to... It's easy to pick a side, Borky, to, to your point on the poll question. 
Read the poll question one more time. In Major League Baseball's wage dispute potentially hindering the start of the season, whose side are you on? I also added the article for context. Okay. And that was what I was getting to about Borky's thing earlier, because Coward loves to jump on baseball despite starting in baseball. And, like, the MLB, this is going to be ugly, and they're going to be like, look at baseball, can't get anything right again. But they're the only one that's with the plan. Like, everyone else is like, oh, North Dakota might be cool. Disney could be cool. Like, they're the only ones actually sitting down yet trying to make this happen. And they're going to get a bad rep because this is going to be ugly. But they're more organized than the other leagues are letting on to believe. And have you seen a concrete proposal from the NBA? I guess they wouldn't have to give one because it's just a resumption. But, like, yeah, they aren't close. Is the I, NHL? I say, what date are they starting at? The difference is, though, that NBA players are willing to start. Uh, it, NFL players are willing to start. This would be because CJ McCollum's questioning it, and he's not the only one. Yeah, maybe so. And they sent out a, a, a poll today. This is, I think, this is crazy. Just real quick sidebar: they sent a text message to NBA every NBA player saying, "Would you like to resume play? Yes or no." Not like right now, but at all. Would you like to continue this season, yes or no? That's how they're asking their players whether or not they want to play. So to your point, doesn't feel like much of a plan. But in the public eye, and to the Players Association's representative's credit, he acknowledged it I mean, right away. He knows what they're doing. But in the public eye, the owners get a win here. Because this would be the players saying, you're offering us a 50-50 split. That's not good enough for us we're not playing sorry. In the public eye, that is what people are going to see. The players are taking their ball and going home instead of playing when a deal was put in place for them to play. For some reason, the public sides with billionaire owners more than they do players, but they have a deal offered to them. If they say no and play doesn't happen, the it will be a bad look, and the public will side with the owners more than they will the players. I don't know why, but that's what's going to happen. The players... And the public's approval rating of Major League Baseball will really be damaged if they don't get this done. Here's what's fascinating to me about this. Which is what they're hiding behind, though, right? The perception that it's that simple, 50-50, it's all good, when that's not exactly what it is. But you're dead on is what their mindset is. And, And part of what's fascinating to me is we look at sports from a fan perspective because we're fans, right? We just want our games. Give us games. Put them in empty ballparks. Put them in partially full ballparks. Put them in packed houses. Whatever. Make sure they're on television. Give us sports. We need sports. Give us our games. You guys figure out your differences. That's how we look at it, primarily, as fans. For the owners, it's a business. And so if you are a business owner in a different walk of life, never mind being a fan in something, if you're a business owner, then you're doing what you have to do to protect revenues from your business, or at the very least, minimize loss. And just because you've run a profitable business for years and years and years doesn't mean you ignore one blip on the radar. You deal with the blip in the radar because, well, you don't want it to be not profitable. Now, the other side of that is if you've had years and years and years of success, you should be in a position where you are more able to absorb a a single season where you're not profitable. 
and there may be some issues with how some people spend the money or how some people run the organizations with regard to handling that. Now, on the flip side of that, and, and Borky, to your point earlier about you know, you're supposed to pick a side, you're supposed to have an opinion, and maybe we're sitting on the fence. When you are an employee, hey, Dad, I don't care if it's as an employee of TeleSouth Communications or an employee at ESPN or you are a lawyer or a dentist or a teacher, whatever your occupation is, Unless you are the absolute best, like one hundredth of one percent in your field, then there will be very few times in your life in which you have leverage. Bryce Harper had leverage when he signed that great big deal. Mike Trout had leverage because he's the best player in baseball. Um, Hey, Dad, if you get an offer to host your own radio show on ESPN New Orleans and they offer to quadruple your salary, but you really want to stay in Mississippi, you have leverage in going and talking to your bosses. Doesn't necessarily mean that always works in your favor, but it gives you a chance to negotiate in a way that is better for you than in normal circumstances. And that's what the players have got right here. They've got some leverage. The owners think they have leverage. And I guess how it plays out is who ends up with more leverage on this side of things. I mean, to me, it makes sense on both sides. I get the owners protecting their bottom line because this is a business. It may be a hobby. It may not be their only business, but it is a business. And it has been a very profitable business for most owners for a considerable amount of time. But the players are looking at it, look, we got to get what we can get because we're already taking a loss this year in comparison to what we thought we would get going in. And you taught, you asked, well, who has more leverage? Is it not the owners here? Because if, if there is no season, then... Yeah, as you mentioned, they've got the B in front of their name. And in Jeff Passon's story, he said a shocking number of Major League Baseball players uh, live paycheck to paycheck. I mean, that's got to be guys who are league minimum, which is, what, 500000 or so, up to a couple of million dollars a year. Yeah. I mean, guys that are getting paid $20, 30000000 million a year are not living paycheck to paycheck. But that's a you would lot. Hope the, not. the former is a lot of the league. You're right. So the owners have all the leverage. Not all of it, but a significant portion of the leverage, right? Because, look, they've got the public already won for the most part. Some of our texts, people saying, hey, if I only work 10 out of the 12 months, I don't expect my company to pay me for 12. That's a text we got. The public, for some reason, whatever it may be, is against the players here because if they are given a deal that will pay them to play baseball and they choose not to, the public will side with the owners uh, over the players on top of the owners having a lot more money. They don't exactly need this season to go on because their bank accounts are bigger. But at the same time, 
they would very much like to recoup something oh, out of sure. the season. Yeah. Everybody wants to recoup something, right? Well, different sport, but if you've if you've kept up with it at all, the messaging like and like vibe of the NBA has gone significantly from well, let's do anything we can to recoup this season to eh, I don't know. Yeah, but I know that's not what we're talking about. Barkley but it can and change. Cuban and uh, there's one other uh, prominent figure, not a current player, but one of them's an owner that said maybe we should just scrap the season and focus on starting next season and just be done with it. You know, it's funny because initially it felt like the NBA was, you know, the, the NBA is the most progressive of the sports leagues. And no no question about that. And they were out there out front early on. Oh, we'll be back. We'll be back. We're not going anywhere. We'll play in empty gyms. We'll play in, you know, whatever. And then when it gets a little bit closer to implement uh, implementation time, well, maybe we just want to hang it up for this year. As good of a leader as Adam Silver has been through some things, he doesn't have what Dana White has. You know, that forget you, we're going to play, we've got this. He doesn't have that approach. He's too open, I guess. Hmm. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Quick time out. Be right back. All right, so is it really possible that we could lose the entire Major League Baseball season because of this disagreement? What would the outcomes be for both sides if that turns out? For the players, there was a $170 million lump sum payment that was negotiated in March. Beyond that, the players will not get paid. And that's where Passon points out what you guys were saying a second ago, that that could be problematic for a number of players who live paycheck to paycheck. Players, they lose a year of playing, which is an item of immense value for those who understand baseball is a profession with a short career span. Sure, you've got guys that play 14 years, you've got guys that play 16 years, you've got guys that play 20 years, Would you say the majority, though, play less than four years in the big leagues? You would certainly think so, yeah. The free agent market after the 2020 season would crash. The average career of a Major League Baseball player is actually 5.6 years, if you can believe that. Um, but okay. one in five position players have a one-year career or less. How do you think that factors in service time manipulation? Probably a lot. Like, should we be lopping a year off here? Complete non sequitur, but I looked this up because I saw it on a podcast the other day. Do you know Rod- how many seasons Roger Clemens played in the bigs? 1984 to... No, 1984 to 2007. He played in a World Series in 1986 and another one in 2005. He was an all-star in both of those years as well. (laughs) Yeah. I I, I heard some story about Clemens on a podcast about him in the 86 World Series. I was like, there's no way he played in that. And I looked it up, and 
of course, I was wrong. Started game one, didn't he? Yeah. He was the he was the ace of that staff in 86. Anyway, I sidetracked us, but that's an insane career. That's three decades. Yeah. How about Nolan Ryan, who played in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s? Yeah, and Julio Franco saw the whole second half of the 20th century. <laughs> Nolan Ryan made his major league debut in 1966 as a 19-year-old. Did not get to the big leagues in 67. And then played 68 all the way through 93. 27 years. Is that what Roger Clemens' total was also? It was 27 years? That's right. 24 years for Roger Clemens. Oh, I can't do math either. I didn't even try to add up the years. I just gave you the start year and the end year. That was intentional. I remember watching Roger Clemens. If you go to baseball reference, so, I mean, you know. Julio Franco, 23 years. Got called up at the age of 23 in 1982 and played until 2007. Clemens' first Cy Young was uh, 1986, and his last Cy Young was 04. It's pretty good. Pretty darn good. Um... In terms of how this could affect the players, the MLBPA may dip into a savings account that they have reserved for an emergency, such as a potential work stoppage. Oh, this will be fun. After the current collective bargaining agreement expires after the 2021 season. So theoretically, we could have this weird season in 2020, have labor peace next year, and then have to deal with this all over again after 2021. Also, agents don't receive commissions and could have their financial wherewithal threatened as well. So you're saying there's a reason why Scott Boris keeps saying, hey, we have to play. We owe it to everyone. Let's see here. Uh, In terms of the owners, what could it mean if they don't play at all? Revenue shriveled to almost nothing for 2020. Mass firings and furloughs take place. You could have potential bankruptcies. And while they're possible, they're not likely prompting either bailouts from Major League Baseball or forcing owners to sell their franchises. And franchise values, which have skyrocketed in recent years, plummet because recovery from the financial hole created by a lost 2020 season could take years. They have a huge opportunity to, if they can work this out and come back to be the only show in town potentially for a while, for a a country that is thirsting for any kind of distraction. By the way, UFC, the the fight over the weekend, over 700,000 people purchased the fight. With cards Wednesday and Saturday coming up. So there's a thirst for sports. Baseball has a huge opportunity to be uh, the heroes, in quotes, of course, uh, of sports fans. Uh, Jeff Passan finally says the time frame in getting this deal worked out is about two and a half weeks, which is not very long. That is if they want to start playing on the 4th of July. they got to start practicing on June 10th. Did you hear about
Four o'clock hour with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borkey, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Thanks for being with us on this Tuesday afternoon, the 12th of May. You can text the show on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. At C Spire, they're not just saying they care, they're taking action to show it through COVID-19 and every day from free wireless data for educational websites to connecting businesses with the tools to work from home. Learn more at cspire.com slash cspire cares. Um, let's transition from Major League Baseball to the PGA Tour. They're approaching things a little bit differently than MLB. Uh, obviously, it's a much different business structure. But uh, according to Jay Monahan, the commissioner of the PGA Tour, sounds like it is full speed ahead. Uh, Am I reading this correctly, Borky? That they're moving forward? Yeah, he had a conference call with players yeah. this week, and uh, their back and forth apparently is really good, and they're even throwing out ideas that they all travel together on the same jumbo jet and not even deal with like regular airports or anything else. So they're going to test all these guys potentially and have them go from place to place on yeah. one transportation service and, and keep them uh, in a bubble and isolated, and the players are all for it. Players Advisory Council voted 16 to nothing to push forward with the revised schedule, which calls for Colonial to be the first tournament. That's in Fort Worth, uh, beginning June 11th. Uh, vote came during a two-hour conference call, bringing together the players and tour leadership to discuss the new normal as professional golf tries to figure out how to move forward. Jay Monahan walked through many of the conceptual procedures that will be put in place at future tournaments. And the vote of confidence from the players was a necessary step for the tour to press on. Kevin Streelman is a member of the Players Advisory Council, and he told Golf.com, the message from Jay was that we've talked to doctors, talked to professionals, talked to politicians. These are the steps we need to take to be safe. Are you guys comfortable playing competitive golf in this arena? The answer was a resounding yes. One talking point that Streelman described is what Borky just mentioned. For the tour to provide jumbo jets to ferry players and caddies from event to event, providing a more sterile environment than commercial or even private airports. Streelman went on to say, they think it's a reasonable solution to keep our circle tight. We're all going to be together during the week, so we might as well travel together. We would all be tested before being allowed on the plane. All players will be charged the same amount. And caddies will get a bill, too. But they haven't figured out exactly what the numbers are going to look like on that front. Um, it feels like a good thing. It says, getting everything locked down in time for Colonial feels like a Herculean task. Kevin Streelman says, I've had some doubts myself, but I feel more confident we're going to play after that phone call than I did before the call. It's not 99% sure, but it's not 65% either. Somewhere in between. First player to complain about accommodations on the plane, I'm going to go Poulter or Reed. I was going Ian Poulter. <laughs> um, I, I wonder he, why... I'm sorry. 
Isn't he famous for like trying to hitch a ride on other people's private jets and not paying for it? I, I'm not sure about that. Poulter does fly private. I'm actually a uh, Ian Poulter state. He does fly private a lot of the time now. He's of that level. Or he's got a sponsorship with a private jet company. I mean that. He's flying private himself at this point, maybe back in his earlier days. He posts his entire life on Instagram. It's the only reason I know that. Yeah, I stopped following him on the various social media. It just wore me out. Maybe I should go back to that. Um, this is this is good stuff. Why do you think golf golfer? I'm sorry, again. No, go ahead. Y'all are going the same direction. Uh, Yeah. Why is it that you think golfers? I mean according to this, are universally for being bubbled and isolated. And Major League Baseball players, for example, are not. Is it just simply that golfers are really never home? If you play a full tour schedule, you don't know what home is because you're always on the go. Why is it that they are so for being in this bubble and away from their families and playing when baseball players are not? You have to play every day or every week. They get to build their own schedule. And forgive me for making it political, but I think, generally speaking, I'm painting with a really broad brush here, but generally speaking, professional golfers probably fall more on the conservative side of things. And I think when you look at how we are coming out of this global pandemic, the way conservatives look at it is and want to see things reopen is different than the way liberals look at it. Even apolitical, what's the one sport type thing you've been able to do outside for a lot of this pandemic? Play golf. You know, there's been a there's been a lot made about golf courses reopening in a lot of places where we are included. Golf courses never closed. Most of them didn't. That's such nonsense. People attacking golf courses and golfers for being open are are just doing so for a different reason. There's no way they actually think that Rippy and a couple of buddies playing golf together outside, not sharing a cart, is going to uh, have them transmit coronavirus to each other. Uh, you want to talk about we spray being... it too much for that to be the case? Uh, maybe so, but we're in different different parts of the course. <laughs> that was bad phrasing. Um, but seriously, th- those people are attacking golf for for other reasons than uh, saying it's dangerous to play golf. Even when the coronavirus wasn't out there, how much person to person contact did you have on a golf course? Like after the round, when you shook hands, maybe. I mean, otherwise you were. Like grabbing your ball out of the same hole, I guess. But uh, I mean, how often are you touching somebody on a golf course? Never. Yeah. You know, maybe you got guys that are relatively close together if they're lining up putts. You got somebody looking over your shoulder. I mean, but again, that doesn't have to happen. Nope. I'd prefer it not happen. Certainly doesn't have to happen at the yeah. Certainly doesn't have to happen at the amateur level. 
Yeah, I'm not taking reads from my friends. <laughs> Maybe you should. Maybe you'd putt better. <laughs> Maybe so. I guess I'll try anything at this point. I'll report back. But, I mean, um, even the flagstick just, thing that they decided on before that is somewhat helpful because a lot of people putt with it in anyway. Yeah, as my dad just texted me, rakes and pins as well. Yeah, don't touch the pin. So the pin stays in. I don't know what they've done at the, the courses that you've played. I'm sure there have been uh, – I, I was watching, I don't know, a video the other day where there's some contraption where you use your putter to lift it up and it pops the ball out of the, out of the cup. I mean, that's fairly high end. I mean – where I play, they just put like a two-inch PVC pipe down in the cup, and then you stuck the flag stick in through the PVC pipe so the ball didn't go all the way to the bottom of the cup. You could just reach in, pick it up with a couple of fingers, and not touch anything. So, you know, they're pretty simple solutions to uh, to make that work. They took all the rakes off the course. I, I would like it if that happened permanently. <laughs> no more raking the traps. Um. I guess the question I was going to ask a second ago is golf positioned to do what we've said Major League Baseball could do or the NBA could do. Whoever comes back first, are they positioned to really benefit uh, benefit from big television audiences if they are the first major sport to come back? I think the big test would be this weekend in NASCAR, right? If NASCAR draws some massive number, you know golf is about to do the same. I mean, NASCAR's iRacing League uh, just finished up last weekend, and it was the lowest-rated uh, event they've put on so far. Over 600,000 people watch NASCAR drivers play video games together. That's how thirsty we are for it. Yeah. Hey, Dad, would you watch golf if it was on this weekend? Yeah, absolutely I would. Yeah. But but you aren't a guy that normally sits down to watch the John Deere Classic. No. Like you'll watch no, the I mean, Masters, the U.S. Open. I'll flip if through. Right. If it's on, I might watch a hole or two. But, yeah, I would sit down and watch. Yeah. Sports Talk Mississippi with you streaming online at supertalk.fm. Somebody uh, proposed earlier that we should have a, uh, a Super Talk, Sports Talk Mississippi golf match that Borky and I should play Hey Dad and Rippy. Be a bloodbath. <laughs> I'm in. Hey, Dad, how about you? Let's roll. Lowest Take score plus out. beers drank wins. Mm. Take a quick time out and be back at Sports Talk Mississippi. She's by your text line. There will be golf this weekend. Rory and DJ against Ricky Fowler and Matthew Wolf at Seminole. Mm. I wonder if they even had to pay him anything to get him to... I mean, I know it's a charity event, but you just invite those guys to Seminole and they're probably in regardless. Also, the Outlaw Tour is in Scottsdale this week and they are giving each player a rake to take on the course with them. they got to take their own rake. Louis suggests that we have a contest to select 4 to 12 listeners to group with uh, each of us in a two-man or four-man scramble. Oh, I'm so in. I've already got my three as well. Your three what? Three guys that would be on my team that listen to this show regularly. Does Jim Gallagher Jr. listen regularly? No, he would not be one of my three. I also 
have a feeling he would decline my invitation. Richard maybe has a shot at him. Yeah, I think Jim would come play with us. That's not fair, though. Or if Jim plays with us, Haydad has to be on his team. You can just do it where, listen, we could do something for the Palmer home that way. And, you know, the winning bid gets to have Jim on their team. Richard and Wiggins wants to be paired with Borky. Mike in Oxford says he's in. We uh, we might be onto something here. It's a really good idea. I'm just caddying. We might be onto some beer. <laughs> there seems to be a theme with you and golf, hey Dad. Yeah, and, and that what it's for? have to do with swinging a golf club. You walk around and and you know have a few brews, and that what it's for? Last time I was on a golf course, that's pretty much all I did. Feels like he'd have a really good time too doing it that way. Yeah. Did did you play or did you ride along with us at uh, at Old Waverly last summer? I can't remember. No, I was uh was I on vacation? I was somewhere. Was oh I no, Omaha? you were in Omaha. You were yeah. in Omaha. That's what it was. Yeah. yeah. No, that's what it was. Little breaking news from Chris Haynes for whatever it's worth. NBA superstars LeBron James, Chris Paul, Damian Lillard, Giannis, Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, Steph Curry. And others held a private conference call on Monday to establish a united front in favor of returning to play. Okay. So, big name players who are also on playoff teams all want to play, apparently. And they're going to start a dialogue with um, the commissioner to establish what they need to do to help to get play started. I, mean, I like it. LeBron is watching this documentary every week and at 30-whatever years old, <laughs> and he's like 36, he probably doesn't want to lose a year to uh, win. Where they were absolutely, well, not absolutely, they were very likely going to be at worst a finals team. They were one of three teams that could win it. On the golf idea, Jason Hattiesburg says it should be a contest. It should be contest based. You guys shouldn't be able to pick who you play with. Have a contest of some sort, and you're stuck with who you're stuck with. Wouldn't that be basically the same thing? We've never met anyone. Yeah, Jay from Mantee wants to know what course we would play. Richard and Wiggins says he will both caddy and rake. Corey in Cleveland says he's in. Our good friend Hammy down in Hattiesburg says he's in. We might be onto something here. Race some money. A lot of fun. What? Yeah. Where would we? Uh, where would we play? Um, Feels like a question you all need to answer. Yeah. Mossy uh, Oak would be great because I don't have to go very far. Borky, what was your answer? I said Mossy Oak. Yeah. I would think that our friends at Old Waverly and Mossy Oak would be uh, open to us doing something along these lines. I don't want to speak out of turn. We would have to talk with them about that. Maybe that's just wishful thinking. I, I don't know. Uh, we can probably uh, probably figure something out. It looked immaculate on the, the drive into that remote last year. You're talking about Mossy Oak? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's had another year to mature. I mean, we're almost a full year out from uh, where we were um, last season, not quite a year out. I guess that was what late June. Uh, you tell me, hey Dad, when was State in Omaha? It would be late June last Mid year, middle of June. Yeah. Um, 
We also, Scott and Clinton points out, could use uh, Dancing Rabbit. That's Sooner right. or later, we will be back at the Sportsbook at Timeout Lounge, and I cannot wait for that to be the case. Hmm. Just give us real sports, and we are ready to go for the uh, Sportsbook at, uh, at Timeout Lounge. Larry and McGee says, guys, don't forget to uh, tell us what you put on the grill last weekend. I did two pork shoulders, for what it's worth. One uh, Texas-style with just a salt-and-pepper rub, and uh, uh, the other one with just like a standard uh, rub, and they both turned out uh, incredible. I found out okay. our friend Malcolm Reed's rubs are available at Kroger's now. So yes, they are. They're at Kro- when I say Kroger's, I'm not saying that one store is called a Kroger's. I'm not going there. They're at multiple Kroger's across the state. <laughs> the plural of Kroger Thanks, is Kroger's. I just Thanks, had to grandmother. be sure about that. Yes. My grandmother was a Kroger's girl. A Kroger's, yeah. Yeah, my, my, my mom was the same way. But, yes, I found out they're available, so I'm going to go uh, to Kroger at some point this week and try to buy some. Rippy, did you put anything on the grill this weekend, or was it an air fryer kind of weekend for you? Uh, burgers, but I didn't grill them. I just ate them. There you go. Hey, Dad, how did your uh, your uh, – Torpedo thing go. What was it called? The Vortex? Vortex. Not Torpedo, Vortex. Yeah, I sent you the picture. I had that thing up at around uh, 700 degrees at one point. It was fantastic. It held between 500 and 600 for about an hour and a half. Trying to think. I don't think we put anything on the grill this past weekend. Middle of the week, last week. What? uh, You didn't grill? How'd you eat? Yeah, no. Um, Mother's Day on Sunday, and Jane and I actually went to dinner on uh, Saturday night. So my mom came and hung out with the kids, and she and I went uh, and had a uh, a wonderful outdoor dinner at uh, at Grit, and uh, sat out on the lawn outside uh, there in Taylor. So uh, yeah, no grilling this past uh, this past weekend. Hmm. I will have to rectify that this coming weekend. Pretty rough, man. Tough scene. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't do lasagna either there, Chef Boyardee. Hey, man. If you had, you know, he might have been involved. Perhaps. Uh, I don't think my wife would sign off on that either. I don't think she's much of a Stouffer's girl either, so you got that in common. She's a smart lady. Yeah. Aside from the whole, you know, uh, you part. Keith and JS said he did riblets on Saturday and then uh, on Mother's Day did inch thick ribeyes and zucchini. So uh, it's kind of like you. You did the so you were you were multiple times on the grill this weekend. Hey, Dad. No, I only I didn't I didn't grill the steaks. Uh, okay, I got you. I'm, I'm a cast iron guy for a steak. You know I have been and I feel like I've kind of backslid on that a little bit. It's like I've gone back to using the grill again on steaks. It's the way to go. Cast iron. Well, I mean, I, I I don't disagree with you. I mean, we do that a lot, especially during the in the winter. Um, I think the bottom line is I just like being out by the grill, as opposed to just staying in the kitchen and whatnot. I got something I, I want you to be thinking about, and and we're gonna do this some in the five o'clock hour, and I want to hear from you as well on the C Spire text line six zero one eight seven nine four three. 
1-800-636-1495. We're going to talk with, uh, with Ryan Brown coming up in, uh, in just a few minutes. But I want you to think ahead to the college football season, and for the purposes of this conversation, let's assume that it's just played as it is currently scheduled. What are the two games? Now, let's do it this way. I want two games from you that you are most looking forward to. One has to be on your team, your favorite team schedule. So if you're a Mississippi State fan, what's the game on the schedule that you are most looking forward to? If you're a Southern Miss fan, same thing. Game on the schedule you're most looking forward to. Ole Miss, if you're an Alabama fan, a Tennessee fan. So the game that you are most looking forward to that is on your favorite team schedule and the game that you are most looking forward to that is just two random teams, whether it's another in-state team or somebody smooth across the country. You know, does Southern Cal, Alabama do it for you? Is it Michigan-Ohio State at the end of the year? Is it Army-Navy at the end of the year? Is it Bedlam? Is it Red River rivalry? Whatever it is. So, Texas... Two games. The game on your favorite team schedule that you're most looking forward to, and then the random game involving two teams that you're most looking forward to. And uh, we'll talk about that. Uh, we may spend most of the 5 o'clock hour on that because I'm just ready to talk about some actual games as opposed to, when are we going to play? What are we going to do? Pandemic protocol and whatnot. Quick timeout. Coming up next, Farm Bureau phone line. Ryan Brown from WJOX in Birmingham will join us. Sit tight. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team at Mississippi Farm Bureau. Ryan Brown from WJOX. Uh, Jocks in Birmingham with us uh, right now. Ryan, what's up, man? Richard, I'm pretty good, man. How are you? Doing well. Hanging in. Wishing we uh, had real sports, but instead we just get to uh, talk about all these proposals that are out there for uh, reopening sports. Um, a- anything you're hearing on the, the college football front that gives you reason for optimism? Yeah, I'm, I'm hearing that... Um... I think within the SEC office, there is a. I think there's an optimism that even if it is only an SEC only schedule, that that is something they feel like they can pull off this fall. And I think there is a determination to make that happen. Um, you know, it, it can't be a hundred percent at this point, but I think Greg Sankey. Is I feel like anyway, Greg Sankey is following the Roger Goodell model. I, you know, if you've noticed, and it's been fascinating to me to watch how conference commissioners and Mark Emmert and league commissioners have handled all this. And Roger Goodell has basically said, "Hey, here's our schedule, and we're keeping to the schedule. And if we get to these dates and we can't pull it off, we'll, we'll worry about that then. But this is our schedule, and we're sticking with the schedule. We're going to have our draft, and we're going to announce." You know, here's the home dates, here's the road dates, here's our Super Bowl, all those things. And I think that's the way Greg Sankey is handling this in the SEC. So I think there's an optimism uh, in that within that office here in Birmingham that they're going to get something on the field this fall. If, if we were to go to a 
conference-only schedule. And I mean, you, you would only do that because you know you couldn't get consensus among the leagues or among all of college football or whatever, and so you just say, well, fine, we'll just play amongst ourselves. Would you think that that would be like an eight-game conference schedule? Would, would you play 12 games? Would it be 10? I mean, I, I think I'm probably just asking you to guess, but... You are, you are, but I mean, we may as well guess here, right? Um, I mean, I think it would be as much as 13. I don't, I don't see why you wouldn't, you know, in that situation, you, you control the dates, you control the stadiums, you control all those things. I mean, campus, it's not like you got to, you know, battle around something else that's in a neutral site venue. So why not play around Robin and take the top two? And you got natural tiebreakers because we've had head-to-head. You know, you can set your tiebreakers, play around Robin, and those two go play in Atlanta for an SEC championship. And if that is all, that is all. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of that, and I hate to keep harping on this, but I think it's the truth. So I think a lot of that's determined by CBS. If CBS you know, indicates, or ESPN, both of them, indicate to Greg Sankey and the SEC people that, um, hey, listen, if there's not football on the field, you know, that check's not going to show up on time. You know, we're, we're going to wait till we see a product before we can pay for it. I think that's got a way of changing your thinking. And I personally believe, especially if some of these other leagues aren't playing, that CBS and ESPN would love an SEC-only schedule. Oh, are um, you kidding me? And, and, and in fact, yeah, and in fact, you could build the games for TV. Why not? You know, you control again. You control the schedule at that point. So why not? You know, say, hey, some people, you're going to get your feelings hurt, but we think these are our better teams. We're going to make sure those teams we've got at least two of them matched up every Saturday. You know, where every Saturday is going to have a cocktail party and a Tennessee Alabama on the same Saturday. Uh, we're going to have an Egg Bowl and Iron Bowl, obviously, on the same Saturday. You know. I mean, set it up for TV to make sure that CBS gets a primo game and ESPN and ABC get a primo game, and you know, you you you, own, you corner the market. Now, obviously, there are things outside of their Greg Sankey and the SEC's control that could prevent that from happening. But I think if those things don't happen, and for instance, California is shut down and Washington is shut down, and the Pac-12 says we're waiting till spring, I, I just don't think there's an appetite for that uh, um, among the people in the SEC office. There's now look, I don't want this in perpetuity, but there's something that sounds awfully fun about going through a fall <laughs> where Ole Miss plays all thirteen other teams in the league. Mississippi yep. State does that, LSU does that, Florida does that, Ala- yeah, everybody does. Everybody plays yeah. everybody. I mean, I know you're not gonna do that going forward on a year in, year out basis, but I mean, if you lose three games, it doesn't matter because I'm assuming in this scenario you're probably not going to a college football playoff regardless. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't think it would exist. I mean, I'm like you. I'm intrigued by the idea. Now, I don't want what would happen, what would have to happen for, for this to occur to happen, if that makes any sense. No, you I, know, I, I mean, on, for that, this to, on that front. Yeah, for this to, yeah, for this to occur, we've got a lot of people not playing football, and that's bad news. So I don't want that to happen. But hey, I Ryan, couldn't you even – I mean, you, you said make it for TV. I mean, is there any reason at all, especially if you're doing it with fewer fans, e- either no fans or a reduced number of fans, is there reason, any reason at all you couldn't spread it out over Thursday and Saturday or Thursday, Friday, Saturday? Why, yeah. Why not? I mean, you own the market at that point. Why not? And, you know, one, I, I don't know what the 
you know, I, I know in the South, you know, obvious. I think a lot of schools are hesitant to play those Friday night games in the South because of the high school football. But you know, who knows what's going on there? I mean, if it's not going, if you really are the only game in town, because you know, there's been speculation the NFL is looking at this that they're looking at spreading out their schedule if college football isn't playing. So I would say the same thing if the SEC and you're the only game in town or one of the few games in town, why not spread it out and maximize the publicity? And look, here's the thing. So let's say you start it, and for whatever reason you have to shut it down in November, there's nothing that prevents you from spinning it back up in the spring. You know, okay, well, we got in six games, you know, and and everybody gets some time off and some downtime and lick the wounds and heal up, and we're going to play a 10-game spring schedule with everybody else. You know, I mean – what stops you from doing that? And I mean, I just, to me, the smartest business idea is if you can safely start it on time, you safely start it on time. And if you have to shut it down at some point, you worry about that then. Why, if you could safely start it on time, would you say, well, we don't know if we can get the whole season in. Let's wait till spring. Well, you don't let them get it in then either. So why would you wait? So, I mean, I think that's, I assume that's the way Greg Sankey is thinking is, it's the first week of September, the late August, whatever. We can start it on time safely. We're going to start it then. And if we get four games in, we get four in. If we get 12 in, we get 12 in. Whatever the case is, we'll, we'll clean up the mess on the other side. I thought it was interesting that uh, Mark Emmert came out and had some big comments about college football on Saturday, con- or on Friday night of last week, considering he has absolutely nothing to do with major college football. I mean, it's all about basketball for, for those guys. And, you know, any chance for that doofus to get to hear himself talk. Yeah, sorry, editorializing there just a little bit. There, there is a question well, in all of that, and and my question <laughs> is, do, do you see this as potentially the impetus for Power Five breaking away from the NCAA? Well, now I should say in the you know to begin with, I've always thought that was going to happen anyway. I just think this accelerates it. I think you know, well, I, I think a couple things are going to accelerate it. I think number one, the way Mark Emmert handled the NCAA basketball tournament. Um, was very, and you, you I mean, I don't, I'm not even a lot of powerful people. Yeah, I'm not even guessing at this. You heard Greg Sankey himself say it. He was frustrated by it. The conference commissioners were frustrated by that. They weren't consulted at all. Not that they could have changed anything, but, you know, they're big players in this, and you don't even have the common courtesy to at least get them on a conference call before you make an, an earth shattering announcement like that and tell them, guys, we're not having the tournament. I want you to hear from me first. Instead, you have commissioners getting blindsided during press conferences by that news. That is no way to operate with what are essentially business partners for you. So I think that was a a nail in the coffin. And I I think the way Mark Emmert is acting about this right now, and you're right, he's got no power in this. It was almost like a Friday news dump, like he had to say something, but he wanted to say it on a Friday news dump, so it got ignored. He knows his words are meaningless. He's got no power over this. He can't tell Greg Sankey or, you know, whoever the new Big Ten commissioner is or Larry Scott or John Swafford, hey, guys, don't play football this fall. When do you think you'll know the I new know Big Ten commissioner's name without having to think about, oh, it's Kevin Warren? I don't know. It's going to take me a little while. I, I still almost Jim Delaney has been there for a long time. <laughs> I know. I know. That guy's got some shoes to fill. But I, I, mean, I do think this accelerates that. But the thing that accelerates the most is, the realization of them of the money that is on the table. And I think this could Mm -hmm. let you see that. For instance, what I'm talking about, like if a conference, if the Big Ten and the SEC had to do conference only and they see that there's a huge appetite for that among TV networks, that 
would likely ring a bell telling you, hey, this could work if we all work together, us and Notre Dame, and we all work together, We everybody could benefit from this. You could rake it in with this. Yeah. And I think those of us who love college football at a high level would uh, would come out winners on this. I'm not sure what it would do for some of the smaller programs, but uh, I don't know. I guess we'll have to sort that out another day. Uh, hope you and your family are well. Always good to visit with you, Ryan. Thanks so much for your time. Hey, you too. You guys take care of yourself now. Talk to you soon. It's Ryan Brown from Jocks in Birmingham. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Take a quick time out and be right back. The California State University system has announced its plans to use virtual and online learning for the fall semester. Their chancellor did say, and and when I say the chancellor, this is the guy that is over 23 universities that encompass 500,000 students in the state of California. He did say that I hope we're wrong. He said there's some people that say we're moving too far and too fast, but we think it would be irresponsible to wait until the summer to plan for this. If it turns out we're wrong, then we'll try to adjust on the fly. But they are making plans to not have on-campus activities other than in some special exceptions for the entire fall semester. That does not affect UCLA, which is part of the University of California system, nor does it affect Cal Berkeley, same system, nor does it affect Stanford, which is private, nor does it affect Southern Cal, which is private. 23 schools, though. So Cal State, Bakersfield, Channel Islands, Chico, Dominguez Hills, East Bay, Fresno, Fullerton, Humboldt, Long Beach, Cal State Los Angeles, Maritime Academy, Monterey Bay, Northridge, Pomona, Sacramento, San Bernardino, San Diego, um, San Francisco, San Jose, San Luis Obispo, San Marcos, Sonoma, and Stanislaus. 500,000 students in the California State University system. Kind of feels like everybody over there is just one-upping each other on how far they can extend their lockdowns. L.A. County today said their uh, shelter-in-place order is going to go on for three more months. Through July, right? Yeah. That's Los Angeles, California. Three more months. That's what you're asking those people to do. It's insanity. Making that call about uh, a fall semester now is insanity. It's just something you simply don't have to do, and and for whatever reason, you've got these leaders that just want to, I swear, they just want to one-up on each other. Oh, you're locking down for the next month? Well, guess what? We're doing too. Beat that, you know? It's crazy to me. Solid break for Arkansas with San Jose State not playing ball this fall. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. Are there any other games that are affected? Does anybody in the SEC play Fresno State this year? I mean, does that effectively end football for those schools? You think San Jose State's going to play? I'm not being like facetious. Do you really think they're going to play football if they don't have in-person classes? No, I don't. I, we just don't have an official announcement on that front. I mean, that, I, I, that's why I said effectively. A quick glance over the schedule tells me this does not affect anybody in the SEC. 
Oh, so Arkansas does not actually play San Jose? Arkansas instead has Kent State, maybe a more winnable game for them. Hmm. Kent State, ULM, Charleston, Southern, and Notre Dame is Arkansas's non-conference. That's uh, it's not surprising to me, given kind of the the way California has approached this thing. Borky Orange County is not doing what Los Angeles County is doing, though, is it? No. So right now, both NFL teams in California, their practice facilities are not affected. The brand new, beautiful stadium that they're building, uh, that is in LA County. But the two practice facilities are not. Wow. Have they halted construction on the stadium? Or has it continued? They've continued. Them in Vegas as well. That's continued with pushback, hasn't it? Yep. Because, and people keep writing the headlines like four workers have tested positive for coronavirus. That means you have to stop. Like, do you realize how many people are working on this stadium? At some point, people are going to test positive. And I think all four of them are asymptomatic, which they still have it, so they have to isolate. But, man. From college football talk, somewhat related, Alabama clashing with USC is expected to be one of the non-conference highlights of the 2020 campaign. Coronavirus, though, may change it. State of Alabama is much further along than the state of California when it comes to loosening the stay-at-home restrictions, which could very well hamper the football programs in the Golden State in preparing for the upcoming season. According to Paul Feinbaum, Alabama is already in talks with TCU about replacing USC in that September 5th opener. TCU is in somewhat of a similar predicament as Alabama as the Big 12 school is slated to open the season at Berkeley against Cal on the very same day. Hmm. A couple of quotes to go along with that story. We'll give those to you when we come back. Have the college football fix coming your way. And remember, I threw it out a little bit ago. The game on your favorite team schedule that you're most looking forward to this fall. And then the random game that just involves two teams that you can't wait to watch this fall. What are they? Send them to us on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. I was uh, at Golf Central on during the break on the Golf Channel. They're doing a, an interview, I guess it's a live interview with uh, Brooks Kepka. And the uh, the host, it's Gary, I can't remember his first name, um, host Morning Drive. Anyway. He just asked Brooks Kepka. he said, have you heard a good reason of why you would play the Ryder Cup as opposed to delaying it if there are no fans? Uh, You know, if the PGA of America were to say, let's go forward, let's play it, but let's do it without fans in terms of safety, and Brooks Kepka, without missing a beat, said, I don't want to play it if there are no fans. There's absolutely no point to play the Ryder Cup without fans there. Pretty big statement. No point. I agree with him. Still think that's a pretty strong statement from one of the three or four best players in the world, though. There's no point to play. That's where it, you kind of lose. You lose me because I understand it would be different. 
In fact, the Ryder Cup is one of those unique events that the fans make it unique. But there were NBA players that said, oh, I'm not, I'm not playing without fans. Yes, it would be different. And Charles Barkley said sometimes, you know, after a back-to-back or whatever, he'd be tired and the crowd would give him an extra boost and he'd play harder some nights. But isn't the point of you being a professional athlete to compete in a sport you love, not compete in front of fans? I mean, I don't I guess maybe since I've never been there, it's different. But my gosh, I would kill for the opportunity to play golf professionally. Fans or no fans, people watching, people not watching. I don't know. Well, in fairness, they had been talking about PGA Tour events, and he Brooks was saying, you know, they were all looking forward to get getting back to playing, and it was going to be weird, and it was going to be unique, and you know, okay. certainly a different feeling in regular events. He was talking specifically about the Ryder Cup, and it does change that think- event for sure. Pointless is a little dramatic, but I'm also in the camp. I would probably actually rather see it like delayed until it can be played with fans. But you could still, from a television standpoint, make really compelling match play even without a crowd. But the event itself, I get where he's coming from. Sure. Well, and that's part of what makes it great television as well. I mean, you, you remember what the pictures looked like from, um, what, Paris? Not this past summer, but the summer before? They played what at Le Golf Nacional. It was electric. And then you rewind to um, what was it, Medina, outside of Chicago, a couple of years ago, a handful of years ago, where it was just it was like a rock concert on the first tee. It, is that where Captain America came into play with Patrick Reed? <laughs> He's played in multiple, but uh, I guess part of the legend. Who was it that was it was it Patrick Reed or was it Bubba that stepped to the tee at number one, addressed the ball, and then stepped back and started waving to get the fans going, and they like like keep them going for the entire time he hit that opening tee shot. I think it was one of Bubba Watson's few humanizing moments. To me, that's one of the coolest moments I've seen in golf. So different than anything else you get. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along on this Tuesday afternoon, 5 o'clock hour. Ceasefire text line is open, 601-879-4395, lot happening at Ceasefire right now. They're working hard, and they're working hard to help you if you're experiencing fever, cough, sore throat, or shortness or breath. Uh, shortness of breath, C Spire and UMMC are partnering to offer free COVID-19 screening through the C Spire Health app for all Mississippians experiencing symptoms. Learn more at cspirehealth.com. It's time right now for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. Uh, All right, Borky, so college football fix for today. We go to the West Coast. This kind of flies in the face of the whole Cal State University shutting down all its schools. The Pac-12 has discussed an 11-game regular season played solely against conference opponents as one possibility for keeping college football going this year amid the coronavirus pandemic. 
Now, the reality is every conference is discussing all kinds of scenarios. Some of them are just sexier than others, and this is one that generated a lot of headlines. And it generated headlines because Southern Cal coach Clay Helton confirmed the idea yesterday as one of several scenarios being evaluated by the coaches and administrators in the Pac-12. Here's his quote. It's been discussed in our Pac-12 meetings, and it's been discussed by the commissioners. Helton said on a video conference call with uh, David Shaw from Stanford and Nick Rolovich from Washington State. An all-conference schedule would minimize travel for a far-flung conference, but would wipe out several high-profile non-conference games on the league schedule this fall. That includes Southern Cal against Alabama in the season opener. It includes Southern Cal, Notre Dame at the end of the year. Uh, it, it, uh, is it Who does Washington play early? Michigan. Washington, Michigan early. Oregon, Ohio State. Oregon, Ohio State in week three, I think it is. Two or three. In the outs and zoo, which would be an incredible atmosphere. Oh, yeah, it would. And maybe a pretty darn good game. Yeah, Oregon returns a lot on defense. They lose Herbert, but a bunch of dudes coming back on that side. Um. Clay Hilton repeatedly emphasized that the Pac-12 does not expect to finalize a plan for at least six weeks while gathering information and observing the progress of the pandemic. You would have Washington hosting Michigan in the Husky season opener. That's two days after Utah and BYU play each other in the Holy War. Cal slated to host TCU in the opener. Ohio State, Oregon in week two. Southern Cal, Alabama week one. Southern Cal, Notre Dame in November. A rivalry game that has been played every single year since World War II and dates to 1926. So just one of the things they're talking about in the Pac-12. So what about what Ryan Brown was saying a second ago? The idea of the SEC playing a 13-game round-robin. I think we can all agree with Ryan that we don't necessarily want that to happen because it means college football as a whole is not healthy and it's not, you know, normal college football season. But if I tell you that's what we get, it's like, okay, we're not having a college football playoff this year. The the Pac-12 is weird and busted up and the Big Ten can't have all their teams play and the ACC can't have all their teams play. So conferences are just kind of left to do their own thing. And the own the, the own thing for us in SEC country is play everybody in the league. 13 game regular season, best two records meet in Atlanta one week later than normal for the SEC championship game. Are you on board? Are you excited? What does that do for you? You hear that sound? But yeah, none of you are saying anything. That, that is the raising of a white flag in Nashville. Oof, 0-11, 0-12, whatever it is. <laughs> now they beat Arkansas. So they'll, be they'll get one. Would they? Uh, <laughs> they'll get one, I think. 
Here's a question I was thinking of earlier. Um, would Arkansas win the MAC this year? No, 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 no. Stop, stop. You're, you're derailing my thought process, right? My, 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 my That's train a good of question. thought. That's fine. It's irrelevant for right now. We can dog on Arkansas another day. Do you like the idea of all 13 SEC teams being opponents this year? Yeah. I mean, it'll be fun. It'll be something very, you know, very interesting and very different, but I think I think it would be fun. Do you play 13 or do you only play 12 so you can get 6 at home and 6 on the road? I think that's you, I think you just have a regular college football season so you play 12, so you play Every state would state almost play everybody in the West, and they would skip two from from the East. Is that right? So yeah. somebody in the state skip one. one from the East. One from the East. Why not just do every one? What's stopping you from doing that? Yeah, I guess you're right, but I mean, I don't know. I mean, college football is like the most inefficient. I guess, I guess at that sport point, of all time, why not? I guess at that point, it doesn't make a, a difference. So I mean, if you wanted to move the SEC championship game back a week. Who would who would say anything to you? Yeah, I mean that's what I was saying a second ago. Just push the championship game back a week, add one week to the regular season, or push the championship game back two weeks if you want to, because you don't have a college football playoff. You're not going to have any bowl games, so really you're not adding much to the season. And that could be so much fun. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at SuperTalk.fm. We'll take a time out and be right back. What would Ole Miss and Mississippi State's records be this fall if they played all 13 SEC teams? What East teams? What East team did they skip? Ole Miss already has Florida, so they're getting them. If they could skip, no, I'm sorry. Let, I'm sorry. Let me ask the question one more team time. Yeah. What do you think Ole Miss and Mississippi State's records would be if they played all 13 other teams in the SEC? This all, year? all 13 other teams. I gotta think for a second. Okay. What do you think? Ceasefire text line 601-879-4395. If the SEC were to end up saying we're just playing conference games and there's no reason we can't play a 13 game schedule. All right. 13 game schedule. Playing a round robin. Everybody in the league. That means Mississippi State from the east would get Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, Missouri, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Vanderbilt. In addition to Alabama, Arkansas, Auburn, LSU, Ole Miss, and Texas A&M. Six and six. I think if we sat down... You got, there wait, are hold on, 13 year, hold on. opponents! Oh, six and seven. It, well, last year that was... That was one team's record, and one team was worse than that with a few cupcakes. I was going to go four and nine. For Ole Miss? Yeah. I think four, nine, five, and eight would be the both teams' range, depending on the outcome of the Egg Bowl. I I would have state, State beating Ole Miss, Arkansas, Kentucky, Missouri, South Carolina, and Vanderbilt. You got them beating Kentucky? Yeah. Kentucky's got a pretty good team coming back next year. They do. I think State's got a pretty good team. But wasn't State 5-6 and six going into the Egg Bowl last year, and now they have a new offense, a new quarterback? They beat Kentucky last year, too. But Kentucky had it, dude. They no, they didn't have They, they weren't the running Lynn Bowden out there yet. No, they were no. still I know, the it was Smith worse. It was that, that kid that was half-deceased. He was throwing shot puts out there, that poor kid. <laughs> Regardless, they won the game. 
Okay. But still, that doesn't take into any context. It just means they beat a team with Kentucky on their chest. I think State is going to be better this year than they were last year. I feel like they will be improved. That's fine, but you're not getting any FCS games. That's fine. I still think they'll beat Kentucky. So you think State beats Kentucky, Missouri, South Carolina, Vanderbilt, Arkansas, and Ole Miss? Yes. To go 6-7? and seven. Yes. Okay. There's a real chance both teams are not very good this year. Hey, Dad, we'll have none of this negativity, Borky. I mean, you just sit there and live in your negative land, and all you want to do is talk about the negative and be pessimistic. I mean, State I like improved happy things sometimes. State but... improved at head coach and quarterback, so that's I mean, that's a good start. But is running an offense where you have to have pretty solid receivers? Do you? Do you just have to have receivers? I mean, yeah, Michael Crabtree is great and all, but that guy has made a living off of turning a bunch of no-names into thousand-yard receivers. Fair enough, but on paper they improved at quarterback. Yeah, but those guys have to catch well. the ball. I don't I don't know that they improved at quarterback. Fitzgerald is really underrated and in the right offensive system would have had a big year. Uh, they still have to catch the ball, but... We'll see how that goes. I, I'm just saying that the, the, it's not exactly, you know, the league is not full of Texas Tech receivers and, and Washington State receivers. How many Washington State receivers got drafted this past year? None. Will the defense how, stop anybody? How many Pac-12 defenses have so. NFL players all over the field? Well, I think State, I'm, I'm just saying, I, there will be plenty of, of, of balls to be caught this, uh, this season in Starkville. I'm not worried about that. I think they. I don't know how good they're going to be overall, but the idea that they're just going to drop 175 passes doesn't work for me. <laughs> well, I would take a lot the of real estate in between yeah. those two statements. Yeah, I mean, they're 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 still a but, talented but, but team. If there are if there are 500 pass attempts, 175 mm-hmm. drops is not the end of the world. That's true. If you if you complete the rest. 175 drops is the end of the world. 175 incompletions is okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's you. You know, but no, I, I mean, I don't think it's it's that much to ask for State to be better next season than they were last season when they have a better head coach and a better quarterback. They bring back a you know a good bit of the offense. The offensive line is going to be good. Defensively, they they have some holes to fill, but I think they've they've recruited well there for the past three four years. It's not like it's not like I'm making this huge jump from two and ten to yeah I think they're a playoff team. I mean I'm just saying I think they could go six and seven in a thirteen game SEC schedule. I, I look I want to categorize categorize it this way: sure losses will be an underdog toss up, guaranteed win for both teams. Even uh, I think Florida and Georgia both I, I would put in sure losses. I think both of those teams are going to be better by a pretty significant margin than Ole Miss. And Mississippi State. The rest of the eh, East, maybe. Uh, eh, well, th- those are going to be two teams that will be playoff contenders, and the winner of that game will win the East. I, I expect them to both be that good. There's also a, a talent separation between them and the rest of their division. Uh, okay. In the West, Alabama is a, is a sure loss, um, and that might be it. As far as shore losses, now they're going to be underdogs against Auburn, probably LSU and Texas A&M as well. But if Ole Miss or Mississippi State found a way to win one of those games, would you be surprised? No. 
No, not one of them. So you've got three, in my, just in my opinion, sure losses. You've got, I think, Kentucky. If you were going to Kentucky, I think both teams would be an underdog this year. Um, yeah, absolutely. Might be the same thing for Tennessee. They would be an underdog homer away against Auburn, underdog homer away against LSU, underdog homer away against Texas A&M. Fair? Yeah. Toss-ups. Tennessee for sure. Man, you hate Tennessee. I hope all Twitter hate. never discovers you, Borky, because they will absolutely <laughs> have you crying yourself to sleep at night. They have a well, bat- it is, well I, I guess the flip side of that is Tennessee was objectively a better team than both Mississippi schools last year and has more stability and is recruiting better. And beat State last year. Yeah, I mean, I it was, it was decided on not, the field but, there. Uh, just Ole Miss didn't play Tennessee. But I would think, I mean, unless Ole Miss played them September 1st, I think Tennessee probably probably wins. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but uh, Tennessee's got the number two recruiting class in the country. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Just saying. It's really good. <laughs> I mean, so, you're talking they're going to finish two top guarantees. ten, too, just to rub that in my face, I'm sure. Yeah. The only think, games that both teams would be guaranteed to win are Vanderbilt and Arkansas. And then everything else is just sort of iffy. I think they would both here's you guys might disagree with this. I think they would both be a road underdog at South Carolina. I don't know if I'm gonna get homered on this one, but I don't know if State would be a road underdog at South Carolina. I think they both definitely would. If you got him at home, it'd probably be about even, but both teams would be underdog at South Carolina. They I do lose, lose those two running it's, it's backs. More, it's more that I don't like South Carolina than anything with State or Ole Miss. Have no idea what to think about Missouri. I would take State to beat Missouri, home or away. Probably Ole Miss too. Hey Dad, would you rather play Florida or Georgia at home? At home, Florida. Yeah. So you you'd rather get Dan Mullen back and go to Athens? I think Georgia's just a better team than than uh, Florida. Yes. Uh, would you rather play? Tennessee or Kentucky at home? Eh, that's not a good example because Kentucky will be on the road because it was a home game last year. Right. Uh, rather play, well, Tennessee was a road game last year, so that would be in Starkville. Would you rather play Missouri or South Carolina at home? South Carolina. Okay. Is Missouri already on the schedule? Yes. State plays Missouri at home this year. First oh. trip but I'm a, okay. Not that I'm it sorry. really matters here, but I'm assuming they're probably scrapping the regular schedule. If this yeah, happens, probably so. probably so. Yeah, you just if state ended up going to Tennessee again, it would just be a, a quirk that you couldn't do anything with. I think you would have to add an additional bye week too. We're way down in the weeds, but who cares? Uh, because the physicality of this schedule is so different than one that features Southeast Missouri State and Louisiana Monroe, you probably would need to give them an extra week off. While we're down in the weeds, play all these at eleven, <laughs> nine thirty, like the Pac-12. Why not? Dude, hey, nine a.m. While we're down in the weeds, let me give you something that'll be unpopular and TV would hate. Don't stagger the bye weeks. Everybody is off on the exact same weekend. You play four weeks, everybody has an open date. You play five weeks, everybody has an open date, and then you play four games to close it out. Roger Goodell would send a thank you card to Greg Sankey if that happened. I'm sure he would. Move half his games to Saturday those weekends. Yeah, that would never happen. 
But that would be... Oh, man. All of a sudden, everybody What are we doing that Saturday, though? Is the Big Ten playing football? What are we watching on TV? I'm going to the beach. I'm presuming the other leagues are playing, except for the Pac-12. All right. We'll look at the schedules. State game you're most interested in. Ole Miss game you're most interested in. Random game you're most interested in. We'll do that next. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Tuesday. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. All right, I've been teasing it for a while. When you look at uh, Mississippi State's schedule, hey, Dad, as it stands right now, not, uh, not the what if they played 13 conference games, what's the game that excites you the most? I'm going to you know, take the Egg Bowl out of consideration because I think most most MSU yeah, fans would go with that. Um, honestly, uh, I think it's Auburn because you, you guys know, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, I am not a, a huge believer in the Auburn Tigers uh, year in and year out. I uh, you know I tend to think that uh, Gus Malzahn, uh, you know, not the most – you know, not the greatest coach in in college football or anything like that. I think State has has a good opportunity to you know at this point in the season they're probably going to be. I think they're going to be four and three. I think they're going to you know they'll win the first four, but then the next three Texas A and M uh, at Alabama or sorry Texas A at uh, okay I've got it right now Texas A and M at Alabama at LSU. That's a really tough stretch. I would be surprised if they if they beat A and M. I wouldn't be totally shocked, but I think they'll be four and three. The Auburn game is sort of the swing game of the season. They're played on Halloween. If they win that game, I think they could they could win out. Uh, if they lose that game, they could still win out. But I, I don't know. I, 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 if that if that's that's the game that to me sort of defines MSU season this year, which is not unusual. It has in, in years past. So you think if they beat Auburn, they're beating Missouri, they're beating Kentucky in Lexington, probably in the cold, beating Alabama A and M, and beating Ole Miss on Thanksgiving night. That's a nine-win season. If that if they were to beat Auburn, I could see them being a nine-win team. Yes, if they lose to Auburn, I probably have them at seven and five. They probably wouldn't have the, the the momentum and the confidence to go up to Kentucky and win. Borky, what's the um, like the off the radar game, or not not even off the radar radar, but just non Ole Miss or Mississippi State game that you're most looking forward to watching this year? Uh, non Ole Miss or State, does it have to be on the SEC schedule? No, the one we Any game in college football. The one we mentioned earlier, uh, Ohio State at Oregon. I'm fascinated by that game. I mean, it's it's big time Ohio State going to what is just an awesome, like aesthetically pleasing atmosphere on top of being really intimidating uh, at Oregon. Maybe it's two brands and it's not off the radar, but I am really looking forward to watching Justin Fields and Ohio State get tested early in the Outson Zoo in front of those people and that crowd. And that scene is going to be awesome. I've long said that I would really like to attend the cocktail party. Like, just go to it. Florida, Georgia this year is on Halloween in Jacksonville. And Ole Miss has an open date. Just don't go to St. Simon's. 
So you don't want to just come to Starkville for that Auburn game I just mentioned? I mean, come on. <laughs> Say again. You don't just want to come to Starkville for that Auburn game I just talked up? No. Okay. No, I mean, not. I just, I would like to go to the Florida Georgia game at some point. This might be my the game one. outside of Alabama Clemson in the national title again is probably going to be Georgia at Alabama. That's mine. September 19th. Wait, Rippy, what about Georgia and Oklahoma in the other playoff game? That doesn't excite you? Hold on, man. Ohio State could make it. Oh, easy. yeah, true. Mixing it up. Wide there. open. Uh, but both teams. Both teams have some question marks to answer. That'll be a game early in the year that, like, I can see that being a game where one team plays really crappy and that really ending up costing them. If we the have a season, by time, the way. The, the 2.30 time slot on CBS, I know there's something a little mystical about it. I sure would prefer to watch Georgia-Alabama at night. Then at 2.30 in the afternoon in September. Just saying. I hope that when ESPN buys this deal out, they get the flexibility to... Well, I mean, I guess they'll have the flexibility because they'll control the entire schedule. Eh, anyway. Don't you like watching the marquee games when they're at night versus in the middle of the afternoon? Or no? The middle of the afternoon doesn't give you enough build-up to it. You don't get to spend all day watching like the undercards of college football. Hey, 2.30 is a great time slot, especially if you're going to the game. It's awesome because you yeah. can make day trips. If you're in Jackson, for example, or on the coast, you can make a day trip and it's you're not getting home at 3 a.m. But... If it's the biggest game of the weekend, I want all day of the undercards to where I don't have to watch them and like be on the couch. I can, you know, put something on the smoker and maybe do a little yard work and like hang out with friends if we're allowed to by this point. Give me all day of that and then the game at night. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm with you on that front. Um, I will say this. I don't know if you guys have noticed this. If they, as they've replayed games, you know, SEC Network's been replaying a bunch of games, and the production value from the CBS games. I'm not talking about Gary Danielson. Set that aside. I'm talking about what it looks like. Is off the charts. It looks so crisp and clean and clear, and just it looks big time. For whatever that's worth. Um, Rippy, what's the game on the Ole Miss schedule you look forward to the most? Uh, selfishly, I have friends in Houston, so Baylor. Okay. Uh, outside of that, I don't know. I mean, they get, depending, once they kind of limp through what is a pretty daunting first month and a half with the whole Auburn, LSU, Alabama stretch. After you kind of presumably play Vanderbilt and escape that, they do have an October 17th game against Florida, which could be interesting. I don't necessarily see Ole Miss winning that game, but if there's like a rallying point into the second half of the season or a trampoline 
kind of to finish strong, that feels like a potential possibility. Though I'm in the camp with Borky, I think Florida's going to be very good. Just telling you, mid-October Saturday against Florida, like stranger things have happened. Yeah. They both I mean, have... for me, it's just UConn. I mean, yeah. you know... So. Well, that guy gets paid by the first down. That would be interesting to count. His I'm agent looking is forward the best to Rippy's running total of Randy Edsel's bonuses during that game. You have to do that, Rippy. I mean, I'll get the math wrong, but I'll try. <laughs> I mean, if it's like $100 for a first down, it's not that hard, is it? Yeah, but I mean, I'm going to forget. I'm going to get up to go to the bathroom, probably not pay attention for a second. Like it's it's going to be hard for three hours. Though, though you do get you do get stat sheets there, genius. Yeah, that's true. But like that doesn't. Yeah, but I mean, is it just by the first down, or are we talking like seven yard plays? We got to really get into the weeds of this because I, I remember I don't it being know. more complicated than we'll, just. We'll, we'll figure it out. We we've got time, Rippy. We don't have to. You need we don't to, have to do this his today. contract. You do need to FOIA his contract. I'm pretty sure this was readily available to us. I don't think no, FOIA is necessary. Yeah, there was one game up. that they lost by, what was it, five touchdowns, but they had two turnovers, so it got a $4,000 bonus. Exactly. Hmm. Looks to hear 100 k if his headset doesn't malfunction. <laughs> um... While he looks that up, both uh, Ole Miss and Mississippi State both have games, uh, like prove-it games early. Like, everybody's just glossing over NC State, for example. I understand why. Not a good team last year. They got beat up some. Uh, haven't really been good since Drinkwitz left. But that's a, a road game and an ACC atmosphere against a program that's been pretty good. They're putting players in the NFL. Dave Doran's teams are never bad. They're not great, but they're never bad. That's like a... what. That's a litmus test of what year one is going to be like for Mike Leach because it took a little while at Texas Tech to get going. It took four years at Washington State to get going. He had two, three, and nines in his first three years. Uh, So we'll see. I think that weekend for Mississippi State, we will see exactly how ready they are in year one to be competitive in the SEC because if they go to to Raleigh and struggle, then it doesn't spell good for the SEC schedule future but if they go up there and dominate maybe they are prepared for that schedule in year one with a new coach and a new system same thing for for Ole Miss and Baylor it's it's a team that they should have a better roster then in a similar position to them with a new coach and, and all of that stuff and if you win that game and look good doing it chance to be a bold team if you By struggle the way, that's going to be Sunday night nice if it happens Sunday or Sunday night? I don't know, Rippy. My assumption is there has been one game played on Sunday in recent years, and it has been at night. So I assume Sunday night, but I'll have to get back to you on that. By the way, the game on the schedule for Ole Miss for me, it's the trip to LSU in week four. Hands down. Love games in Tiger Stadium. Sports Talk.
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.